Today, I got to sit down with the chairman and founder of Air Wellness, uh, ticker symbol over the OTC AYRWF. During this conversation, we got to talk about his culture uh, during the Great Resignation, how he's able to retain top talent, motivate uh, his individuals, as well as kind of how he started from a family office and from the investment standpoint, seeing cannabis long term as a CPG. We dove into his revenues what's driving that, as well as what's driving the industry at flower at 40%, whether he was excited about that with the opportunities, so all of that coming up. It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. So when we pick the name Air, the, the reason why I chose that name is because I want to be wanted to be inextricably linked to my customer, my community, and my teammates. And the only thing that would separate us was the air we breathe. Having said that, everyone calls us AYR. But we're air. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't that effective. Okay. Yeah, I think I want to talk to you about uh, the MORE Act and impacts on, um, you know, stock market and stuff like that. And where you guys are at with revenues and I like the more act because it, it it gives opportunity to people that have been so far denied from this once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think it helps people that have been victimized by the war on on drugs. I like that part about it. And I think banking would be very good for the business. So I like I like that those aspects very much, right? What I never wanted in life when I entered this business is for this to be a white man's grab, right? I, I believe in equal opportunity. Whoever works hard should have an opportunity in America. Mm -hmm. So I like those aspects. Handicapping all of that, I think there are other people who love handicapping. They've been absolutely wrong for the last couple of years, but that doesn't stop. It. And that would stop me, right? So you can ask me anything. Those are my 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 opinions. You know them now. If you if you think they're relevant, ask away. All right, I think they are relevant. Um, well, let's just start off with the uh, Air Wellness. It's a vertically integrated company. Is it, is it an MSO? Technically, tell us a little bit about that. For it's it's not A Y R Wellness. It's Air Wellness. First off, that's how you Air pronounce wellness. it. Yeah. Second off, what is it? So Air Wellness is a multi-state operator. We operate, it's vertically integrated, as you said. We operate in eight states. Um, we're the fastest, if you look at 21's revenue in EBITDA, we're the fastest growing MSO in the industry. We continue to build out the company. We probably had more CapEx relative to our size, or maybe even on an absolute basis, than anyone uh, in the industry. And therefore, we think our revenue as our CapEx gets completed and what we have announced, 95% of that has been completed. There'll be you know, a, a, a big acceleration in terms of our continued growth into 22 and 23. What does that look like post-pandemic? Are you looking at existing markets? Or are you just looking at limited licenses and emerging markets? What's your focus? So when I started this business, uh, thinking about getting into this business in uh, 2017, my background has been uh, 
in finance prior to that. This was an investment from my family office when I understood how big this opportunity could be. And for me, a once in a generation, once in a lifetime chance to be able to create one of the, what I think will be one of the great CPG industries. Um, so that excites me at this stage of my life, building and creating and surrounding myself with talent. I, I believe in the culture of excellence. I believe culture trumps strategy. So I love being around great people and great teammates. Throughout my 35 year career in business, my personal philosophy is talent is for free. It's the mediocrity, mediocrity that becomes expensive. And creating that culture of excellence and performing at the level we perform, talent attracts talent. Great people wanna work with other great people. But the talent is just not excellence in terms of commercial, the commerciality of the business. It's about mutual respect and transparency and morality and ethics. And that's what differentiates us from the other MSOs is that we are so focused on our culture and the way we treat our people, our teammates and our communities. We believe in reinvesting in our communities. And so that's what really makes AIR different. Now, when I started, there were two strategies uh, that various MSOs were, were pursuing. One is simply to say, wherever I'm offered a state, I will stick my flag. The other one is the one air pursuit. And it's the one I've practiced in business before. And that is to look at the map of the US, to figure out the 12 or 15 states that we believe will represent 80% of the consumer wallet and then leave the other 35 states to our competitors, which will represent 20% of the wallet. We're not into a land grab. We're taking a much more focused approach to our consumers. I've always said, I wanna be in contiguous states and concentrate our brand such that our brand resonates with the consumer. Because at the end of the day, we're in the consumer business. And since the federal government doesn't let us advertise, I've always thought the best way to create a brand is in those contiguous states to follow our consumers as they, as they move from one state to another. And when they see the AIR brand, they'll understand that AIR stands for the consistent, excellent consumer experience. You know, I, I've been asked a question recently by a brand periodical. Tell me what it takes to build a brand. And a lot of our competition is focused on the box. Air is focused on what's inside the box. And to be able to do that every single day consistently. You know, I often laugh because of the variance, the variability of the consumer experience in the cannabis business. When you buy an iPhone in California, do you expect it to sound the same way as the one you buy in New York? Yes. So do I. The Nikes you buy in your hometown, should they run as fast as the ones I buy in Miami? Yes. And that's how I think the weed you smoke or the products you use from air, no matter what state you find us, they should have or deliver the same experience wherever you find us. And so concentrating and penetrating was always my strategy as they moved from Michigan, New York, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Florida. 
and then to Nevada and Arizona. We want to stay with our consumer as they explore and deliver that consistent consumer experience. That's what AIR is about. Does it have to be vertically integrated and does it have to be in a limited market in order to be competitive? To be competitive, your definition of competitive, I'm sorry. Well, a limited market, so limited license state like Arizona and New York with limited licenses rather than Oklahoma with 7,500 licenses. When you're looking at a spot, does it have to be vertically integrated from seed to retail? And, and are you looking at only limited licenses? So let's start with the first one. I believe air should be vertically integrated in every state we go. Because I've made this statement that I want to be the largest scale producer of high quality cannabis. Because again, think about CPG. People forget for a second. There's a whole world outside of CPG, which we could reference. Okay. Well, I wouldn't say I would steal their business plans. I certainly would think about appropriating what already works in CPG because it's so well refined away from cannabis. Right. So, it all has to start with the product we're selling. That's why I want to be the largest scale producer of high quality weed. Coca-Cola locks up their formula every night. Microsoft guards their technology. Right. Microsoft, I'm bringing a, Coca-Cola also has regional distribution and bottling facilities. And a lot of the, the breweries have, they get all their hops from one spot, like the Yakima Valley here in Washington state. If the Moore Act were to pass the Senate and Biden were to sign it and it became legalized, would you have to change your, your methodology? It seems expensive to have that kind of repetitive SOPs and, and all of the property plant and equipment that's required to do that in states like Florida that not, might not make sense relative to other regions to grow. Would you just then kind of reallocate uh, some of your your resources and, and pick a spot, or I guess I'm asking you, what, what would you do if it, go, if it went legal? <laughs> okay, so I don't know if the, my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure the MORE Act helps us with interstate commerce. It, it lays the framework work out, but you're right, it doesn't actually say it. Oh, I, 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 my understanding, we're not quite there. Are, mm -hmm. are, are you saying, John, how do you feel about running the most inefficient business in the history of businesses? Yeah, you're right. It should be done with regional hubs. We should be growing cannabis in the most optimal mar uh, market to produce the highest quality at the lowest cost, for sure. But the state of play is the state of play today. And we have to be vertically integrated. And as long as we have to be vertically integrated, okay, in some states, in other states, we could simply buy the retail and buy third-party product, right? And fill our stores. The reason why I don't love that as much is because I wanna control what's going inside our box because it starts with the content, it starts with cannabis. And we think we are the largest scale producer, as I said to you, of a high quality flower. Now, let's not deny the fact there are smaller craft uh, cultivations that grow amazing flower. But by the end of the year, we'll be approximately 1.2 million square feet of cultivation. And it hasn't been proven yet in this industry, as far as I know, 
that people have been able to keep their quality at that size. And that's our goal. Because you can't be a national brand the way the law is written today unless you can do that scale with consistent quality. Because there's no, there's no reference point outside of this industry with giving the customer an uneven experience over the long term where that company survives. You also mentioned when you're when you're looking around, you're trying to grab top talent. How are you doing that in an age of the great resignation to retain that top talent? Um, what is it about you know the brand or culture, I guess, where you're able to draw from an environment where people are just walking off and looking for uh, all of their needs and wants in one package? How were you able to kind of offer that in this environment? It starts with the culture and the vision of the company. And if you can, you know, my theory was to win this game, if we have roughly 2,500 people, teammates working at AIR, if I think about this as a, a boat and I could get 2,500 pairs of oars all rowing in the same direction, we win. And I'm a strong culture and vision. This isn't my first business. I'm a lover of talent. People are leaving because in my view, they feel underappreciated. I just came off a four and a half day tour of five states. I love being in the field. I love meeting the people. People want to offer their opinion. They've been stifled because management hasn't given them the opportunity to share mm. who's closer to the consumer than our retail and wholesale people who understands what our SOPs should actually look like. Since I want to mirror them in every state we go, we should have the exact same SOPs, mm. but the people that are doing it. So if they buy into your vision and they like the culture of transparency and mutual respect, and you offer them a voice and you created an excitement in and around working at air, maybe it's better than sitting in your living room by yourself. Maybe it's fun to be around other great people. I said early on, I want to be the largest scale producer of quality wheat. I said two years ago, three years ago, I want to create an artist commune. What do I mean by that? Go back to the 30s. Wealthy patrons would create these communes. They would give paint and canvas to artists to create. And they would work together. They would share their thoughts on, on their craft, their IP, today we call it. And people did some of their best work working with each other. So I wanted to create an environment where the great cultivators, because I love them and appreciate it, because it's central to the success of air and a relationship with the consumer. Create that commune, create that environment. Because when I talk to our cultivators, they're really artists. Duplicate that. Let them share. They all do it slightly differently. They all learn from each other. That's why AIR has very low turnover. We've had zero turnover rate at our senior level. That's unheard of. And it has to be because of the culture that's at air. 
Yeah, there are a lot of people flipping. That's for sure. Investors kind of coming in and, and getting out. But as a family office, you started this um, knowing that it was going to kind of end up being a CPG long term. So you've got a long term vision on it. But when you when you initially came out and you started doing your investment rounds to get other people on board, did you run across anybody asking about uh, the sin clause and you know investing in sin stocks, uh, the equivalent of? There's there's an issue with people that that want high returns, uh, but they also want ESG or SRI opportunities, social responsibility investing, environmental social governance. Uh, and then they'll say, well, I don't really care about the returns. And then there's a flip side. They just want the returns. They don't care about the, you know, good side to it, the altruistic side of, of the cannabis industry. When you were going around seeking capital investment, what kind of reactions were you getting from people? Was it just the capitalists or was it philanthropic? So in 17, there was no such thing as ESG, Right. So that wasn't the first issue I faced. I faced a lot of issues. So you don't know me well, but you know, I, I was a, a hedge fund manager in my previous life. And I had friends over in August of 17 and we were sitting around. I, was, I, was, I had my family office, but friends, hey, John, what are you up to lately? And when I said to them in August of 17, I'm very focused on the cannabis space. To your point, they all looked at me and said, are you going through a midlife crisis? I go, what do you mean? This is going to be one of the greatest opportunities of a lifetime. Because when I was shown it, the person who showed me the idea of investing in cannabis, they said, hey, John, do you want to invest in a business that's growing 35%, highly fragmented, and limited access to capital? Well, those are the kind of opportunities I would love to see every single day of the week. They don't often come by. Then I said, what is it? They said cannabis. So my friends thought, John, midlife crisis, because you're going to have trouble crossing the border. You're going to get your bank account. Everything you said was a legitimate threat because we had an attorney general at that time named Jeff Sessions. And you remember he was threatening all of us. So that was real. I could not find an investment bank to underwrite the deal. No one in the US would touch it because they were scared of Jeff Sessions. I went to Canada and no bank up there wanted to touch me because I said to them, I'm gonna raise money in Canada to invest in a roll up in the US. Jeff Sessions at that time was threatening the board of the Toronto Stock Exchange. You list a company that touches the U.S. Now, I'm not sure he had the power to do that, but that didn't stop him. So it was difficult for the reasons that you said. ESG was not an issue. If you're asking my personal opinion, can we have a low impact on the environment and on the earth and also drive returns for our shareholders? I don't think it's mutually exclusive for the following reasons. The consumer's want to buy products of companies who are aligned with their interests, their morals, their ethics. And those are the companies that they tend to be loyal to. And so is there an adjustment as you reduce your carbon footprint, as you get better at that in terms of your impact on the environment and on the earth? Of course. But the consumer 
respects those companies and wants to patronize those companies that think about those issues. So I don't think about it as a cost. Personally, I want to do that. That's how I think about life. I think about it for my young children, the world that they'll inherit. So we need to be doing that. Yeah. That's our view of there. I don't think uh, ESG was around in 2016, but Tom Shoes was, and they lived that model. And I think they got wrapped up by Amazon for that very purpose, their customer service, their culture, uh, and everything about it. So um, obviously it makes sense to me from, from a, a business standpoint, but what doesn't right now totally makes sense is the fact that all cannabis stocks move in momentum with news. We saw with the Moore Act and everything else kind of uh, this, not, what definitely wasn't a pump and dump, but it, it, it was a, a, a sucker's rally and then it, it just faded. When will, is it going to take federal legalization for stocks to move independently of one another? Yeah. Yes. I think it's a good point. I often talk about this too. Right now, because it's federally illegal, you have a very limited universe of investors. The same, I'm going to make the number up. It's not true, but we'll just use it. Let's say there's 35 investors. So they all buy it up and then they all sell it down. There's no additional natural buy. You have no dispersion in terms of the thought process investing. Highly correlated, exactly what you said. Morak, I don't know why you'd buy it in the Morak personally, when Joe Biden has already said he's not gonna sign it, right? We already know that Mitch McConnell doesn't wanna bring it to the floor. I mean, we know this stuff. This is not, shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. They're pretty vocal on these things, right? So I'm not sure. I think the stock should be bought because the growth prospects are tremendous and the multiples, are compressed. And when I think about comparing it to premium liquor, where growth rates are three to 5% versus our growth rates. Mm -hmm. And I see their multiple is 25 times EBITDA. And you think about our multiples as an industry is a third of that, down two thirds. Mm -hmm. Those are the reasons. In the beginning, the stocks were bought by growth managers. The stocks now should be bought by value investors because there's real value here. One day, federal legalization will happen. Over the weekend, I didn't know this number was true. and Maybe you do. It's polling at 90% now in America, whether cannabis should be legal, both wow. medical and adult use. I had never seen that number. Mm-mm. But over time, don't the politicians have to listen to the voters? They're supposed to. (laughs) (laughs) You're moving because, you know, at some point we got to push back and say, you work for us. We don't work for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And if this is what America wants and there and there is no there's been no real demonstrated proof that cannabis is the same as heroin, scheduled one. Mm-hmm. It's just illogical. So in my life, I do believe in the short-term irrational behavior can exist, but what I've also observed over the longer time, longer term, is rational behaviors mean reverting. 
And this will work out because the American people want it to work out. Have you heard of the shun stock hypothesis where um, hedge funds and institutional investors aren't investing in sin stocks? And so it artificially um, keeps that volume and investment low until investors no longer care anymore. It doesn't matter if it's the cleanest dirty shirt in the room or not, they're going to invest in it when the longest bull market in history comes to an end and there's a correction or recession or depression. Then all of a sudden, as soon as the sky falls out and margin is exploded and everything has reached its bottom, folks will start looking at any and all opportunities. Is, is that another reason why cannabis stocks in general aren't really looked at is because of that shunned, uh, shunned stock hypothesis? You know, I wish that was true. Again, I think it's just a limited universe of investors. Okay. So the people that are in it are less concerned with the federal legality of it or allowed to buy it. And I don't think they're focused on the sin stocks, right? They've gotten around the other issues and those are the handful of people that are in it. It's gonna take for those wall of money, I believe that's out there for these stocks federal legalization for the big mutual funds to come in in size. If you believe what I've said previously, this is one of the greatest CPG opportunities of a generation. It's there with cable, it's there with cellular. The, the consumer demand is tremendous for this. There will be a wall of money at these multiples. It just will take federal legalization. Now, what gets me excited is two points. One, when that wall comes down, these stocks aren't as liquid as a lot of other CPG companies. So the pipe is very narrow. It's gonna overshoot. And they already know the relative values between cannabis and premium alcohol. So these stocks are gonna overshoot when that day happens. I'm not predicting that day, as we said earlier. Ultimately, when the walls come down, CPG, will be in this business. Because when I started to invest, I was looking at the states that had alcohol as well as some form of cannabis program. And what I observed, the reason why I invest, invested is there's a paradigm shift in the younger consumers focus and, and demand. And they want cannabis and alcohol sales are going down in that demographic. Mm -hmm. When I noticed that paradigm shift, I knew I had to invest. Originally, I wasn't gonna be the CEO, I was just gonna be the investor because that's what I normally do. But when I understood how massive this could be and the potential for the CPG takeout within five or so years, I understood that I wanted to push the optionality in the money myself. So let's think about this. Alcohol, beer, they notice what's going on. If you and I know this paradigm shift is occurring, they know it better than we do. And what I've seen through my financial career is when they see the consumer shifting, they'll wanna be in those businesses. And the strategic edge I think air has, which used to be a negative for us. Our competitors used to say, they're simply finance folks. Now, I used to apologize for that. 
my, my marketing people used to say, John, you're not weedy enough. I said, well, how do I become more weedy? What should I do, right? I can get a sweatshirt like you, a flat brim hat like you. What do I do? I am who I am, right? And I used to feel bad about it. And then one day I woke up and I said, well, in any other industry, being a finance person with great operations, great financial controls, great governance, great compliance, real infrastructure, what other industry would say, hey, John, that's a negative? And where it really will be a positive in my views, when the beer and liquor companies who are under pressure from this paradigm shift, federal legalization will bring them in. And I believe they will choose the management team that have the best controls. Because the last thing they want to be when they make an acquisition is embarrassed. And they don't know a lot about our industry. And when companies don't know a lot about the industry, but know they have to be in this street, in my view, from my experience, they'll look to management more than any other factor in making their decision. And that's how we've positioned air from day one. So the wall of money will come, can't tell you when. The pipe is very thin, so the stocks will overshoot, in my view. The takeout, when the walls come down, will occur. And only a handful of us will have the appropriate infrastructure and management that will allow the largest, best companies to consider them. And we build towards that every day. While I'll agree with you that it's definitely a CPG industry, there's companies that may or may not survive. When um, you remember uh, when Time Warner merged with AOL, it was going to be the biggest thing, but they they lost their their culture, they lost their relevance. And so what I see up in Canada with Tilray is them losing their relevance. They tried to target soccer moms, they merged, they lost their, their relevance. What I see from the ground up in California is this cookies brand taking this, this image in this culture internationally rather than just pushing a product. And so if you're as passionate about the culture with, within your stores as you are about the cannabis culture itself, I think it can go really far just looking at what Cookies has been able to do and the failures that Tilray had when Brandon Kennedy sort of bragged about not knowing the industry, not caring about the industry, whereas you just said, how do I become more about the industry? You can't change who you are and the finance and the knowledge is um, second to none. I, I think that the SOPs and compliance are so relevant and so important to the industry and understanding that. But for longevity purposes, uh, those like like Tilray who um, only think about CPG and don't care about the culture in and of itself, I don't think will be here long term and they will be the AOLs of, of the future. Look, I, I don't know Tilray's strategy, but when I look at their recent acquisitions, they're buying more beverage business, alcohol beverage businesses than they're buying cannabis businesses. Okay, that's their strategy. Now, remember... I'm not, I don't have an ego around this. I never think there's our way or the highway. Like there's many ways to be successful. But the thing that differentiates AIR 
our competitors talk about building a lifestyle brand. You know how I think about it? Hmm. Cannabis is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And we need to join our consumer in that journey. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be the largest scale producer. Can I tell you what's really interesting? Yeah. I've said a lot of things for 35 years. Some have come true, some have not come true. Not because I, I didn't always speak with a very honest voice. I say what I do and I do what I say, but I'm not always right, okay? But on Wall Street, if you had a brilliant idea, you know how long the half-life of, of possessing that idea solely is nanoseconds. What, what really makes me curious, because they talk about being in the CPG business, building lifestyle brands. How come no one else speaks about culture and speaks about being the largest scale producer of high quality cannabis? How many companies, I asked you before, have been successful delivering mediocre product over long periods of time? I don't know any. So how could I be the only one saying that? Now, it's really hard to do. Again, growing great cannabis in 5,000 square feet is a lot more doable than in a million two square feet. But that doesn't stop me because I know that's what it takes if we really want to be a CBG company. If we really want to entertain the thought when federal legalization happens, that we would be interesting to those companies because we do it with those SPs. We call it the AOS, the Air Operating System. We are focused on that consistency. That's what makes us different. Out of all of your portfolio, everything you've got going on, what are a couple revenue drivers uh, that you have that's going to kind of propel you into 2022 and beyond? What's, what's going to drive us is what we talked about in the beginning. So last year, our revenue was up 133% year over year, 130% year over year. Um, EBITDA up 83%, as I said to you, it's the fastest growth, right? We also deployed $123 million of CapEx, right? We closed eight M&A transactions. We added five states. We added 62 dispensaries and eight cultivation facilities. And we welcomed 1,600 new employees. It was a busy year for us in 21. But that was a transition year to set us up in 22 and 23 to start to monetize that CapEx and those new states and those new cultivation facilities. And we are very close, as I said to you early on, we've completed 95% of that cultivation. We got to get the rest done. We're down to five. Now, when I say that, I want to put it in the context of the world we live in so that your viewers understand how difficult that was. Supply chain, mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. Inspectors coming to inspect during COVID, very difficult. But we did it. We did not do it on time because it was impossible. Mm -hmm. Because no one has ever seen an environment like this, including ourselves. But we now have that 
mostly behind us. And so the steepness of the revenue trajectory is as steep as any I've ever seen, because it's all going to get lit up. Mm-hmm. What do you think? There are a couple of things that skeptical investors, um, like, why are they on the sidelines? What are some things you want to say to some folks that uh, are taking a look, but they haven't pulled the trigger yet? For some, they just can't simply do it. They don't have the mandate to invest in this. It's federally illegal. They can't do it. Mm-hmm. Others, there's custodian issues. They, they can buy the stocks, but they can't find a place to keep their stocks. That is a difficult issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and others have looked at us and as an industry, we're going to have a flat first half. Okay, we came off a very big year last year. We'll have a flattish first half. The difference for us is all of the things that we talked about and closed in 21 are coming online. So we're not looking to get a big return on existing assets. That's not our issue. We're looking to get a return on everything we don't have online. And that's why will continue to be one of the fastest grower, growing MSOs in the industry. It's just a matter of when we get those inspected, basically at this point, which is the most difficult part of this industry, is getting through the regulatory approval. Now, you ultimately always get it. We've never been turned down. It's just difficult to predict the exact timing of it. But we're very, very close at this point. Um, yeah, anything, we talked a lot, John, anything else that, uh, you want to cover? Um, look, I, I always finish this way. I feel, you know, super fortunate to have this platform to work with such great people. And I, you know, again, as I said to you, I'm a simple guy. I just love being around talent and I love building culture. And, uh, that's the proudest thing I do every day. I'm going to, I'm going to name off a seven things. I want to know what, what resonates with you the most. Team Icon is an acronym I came up with, and it stands for trust, empower, appreciate, mentor, involve, challenge, and on a mission. When it comes to AR wellness and the culture that you've implemented out of those seven things being trust, empower, appreciate, mentor, involve, challenge, and on a mission, what resonates the most with you? I've always cared more about my reputation than making money. So my teammates know that, Mm -hmm. right? You know, one of the things when I entered the business is that I, I had to do a lot of work to make sure for the reasons you and I talked about, because in 17, people were hesitant to even think about investing in cannabis is that how would this affect our family reputationally? So that's all I cared about. I've never chased money. I've never had a job in my life. I've always done the things that I'm passionate about. So big, trust. As I said to you earlier, I say what I do, I'm vocal. I don't mind putting myself out there. I don't mind taking risks. I think generally in life, people underestimate risk and overestimate security. 
I think it's a mistake. I think I, I personally believe in calculated risk. I do a tremendous amount of work. But I think for most people, that, that overvalued security holds them back from doing great things. I'm a passionate guy. Next, tell me the next letter. Uh, there's trust, there's empower. So I love empowering people. I love at this stage, I'm 64 years old, that I get to mentor people. It's the part of my job that I love most. You'd have to ask my teammates. You know, teaching is Maslow's you know, highest theory, right? Self-actualization. So I get to work with great people. I get, I get to share the benefit of my experience. Again, I've never driven anything in my life, made any decision simply because of the economics. And an air selfishly, I get to build a platform that makes other people's lives better. And we do that in our, our programs, in our communities, to mentor, to share, to educate, to invest, to expunge, mm -hmm. right? I came up with this line a year ago. I was the only one in the company who wouldn't use it until I was sure I could actually do it, but others started. Air is meant to be a force for good. Mm. What else would you want to do if you're my age, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of snake oil in the industry. You know, we could both be billionaires probably 10 times over if we wanted to. It's, it's really easy. Uh, well, I'm glad you're a billionaire. Now you worry about being 10 times over. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing some crypto on the side there? You're not sharing with me. <laughs> yeah, we got 876% last year trading crypto. Is that right? True story. We got to do that uh, on another call. We, we will. That's amazing. We'll follow up. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about uh, flour only being 40% of the market. That leaves 60% for other things. And that is a maturation of the uh, industry, in my opinion, uh, when we can kind of fully evolve into this CPG industry. Um, are you excited about that? Are you nervous about that? What are you excited about? So we consistently see flour around 50, 51% here. And I think each company has a slightly, probably different mix depending on what their expertise is. Um, here it's flour. Now we think all the other derivative products that you're referencing still start with the plant, right? Mm -hmm. So as you and I both know, garbage in, garbage out. Like if we're putting in great cannabis, into our edibles and into our pens and our concentrates, they're just better. So look, when I started the business, I didn't know that much about it, I have to tell you the truth. But what I understood as I did my work, I, I looked at who the demographic could be. And I wanted to make sure I had a form factor that met that demographic so that they could ingest the plant the way they wanted to. So for some, it's about discretion. I don't wanna to drink two glasses of Chardonnay at dinner. I'd rather microdose. I'd rather hit a vape pen. I gotta make sure I have a form factor that's excellent so that they can ingest it the way they want. And whether it's tinctures or flour, or edibles, 
whatever they need. You know, only recently, this maybe will blow you away, but I thought there were two kinds of customers, a medical customer and an adult use customer. And then a scientist who was talking to you about bioavailability of products, and we can get off on that on another show, the whole science around what we're doing. She said to me, John, there's no difference between the adult use customer and the medical customer. And I said, well, what do you say that for? She goes, that, that person that's sitting on their couch all day, who's an adult use customer, smoking, they're Medicaid. And I go, you're right. So I don't think about it differently. I'll tell you what makes me super sad is that the federal government bars the people who need cannabis for medical conditions that are barred from getting it. That makes me super sad. Mm -hmm. That is the reason why AIR would fight and continue to fight for the descheduling of this, to make it available. Nature's medicine must be available to the people that need it. Yeah. Anything but a schedule two, I guess. So it doesn't go to big pharma only, I guess is the only thing that. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah. So got to be careful what we ask for, because there's no interstate commerce with that more act and it could go only to big pharma. So fingers mm -hmm. crossed, neither of those things are, uh, are going to happen and be permanent, but um, that looks great. Um, I, I think with that, we're going to have to wrap this one up. So I want to thank my guest, uh, John Saddleman is the chairman CEO of Air Wellness. You can find them at uh, on the OTC markets for under ticker symbol AYRWF for Air Wellness and uh, online. Where else are you guys at, John? What's your website? Oh, our website. I would invite people to find us on our website. And if you go to our website, and if you if you actually end up doing this, email me. Under the heading about us, please watch the video because that's really air. Okay. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, but with that, I think we're at the roll this one up. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.